All right, tonight we'll be talking about uh, is our solar system young and uh, <clears throat> is there any scientific evidence uh, that we live in a universe that's not billions of years old, that fits the creation uh, the creation as we see in scriptures that God has said that he created things in seven days. So it's all about, it's all about time. And uh, we'll be looking at <coughs> several different things tonight. Uh, I'll start out with talking about Jupiter and Saturn and so forth and how they fit into a creation type situation. Uh, the early faint sun paradox, maybe some of you have heard of this. Uh, how did evolution take place when the earth was frozen? basically, and uh, so most people most uh, people won't tell you this, and uh, of course comets, interplanetary dust, and magnetic fields, uh, and then TLPs, transient lunar phenomena. Uh, tonight, we'll probably only get to about three of these. Uh, this is a part of a seminar that probably takes about two and a half hours, and uh, so I won't keep you here for two and a half hours, but we'll look at several of these tonight. And uh, perhaps uh, uh, maybe some other time uh, on my trips through here, we can, we can continue this and do some other things. And so it's all about time. <clears throat> in Genesis 1.1, we read in the beginning that God created the heavens, the heaven and the earth. Okay? And uh, this phrase, heaven and earth, or heavens and earth, uh, is found in Scripture many places. And... Uh, we, what does heaven and earth mean? What did God create? And uh, we'll see that uh, heaven and earth, the phrase, is generally used to specify or indicate the whole universe, the entire physical creation. And uh, so let's look at a few verses that uh, tell us that. In Jeremiah 23:24, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill the heaven and the earth, saith the Lord? So we see the phrase heaven and earth, and where can you hide from God? And the answer is where? Nowhere, right? And so we know this is talking about the entire uh, physical universe, the places that we could possibly hide ourselves. And then we see in Genesis 14, 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the most high God, possessor of what? Heaven and earth. And uh, what does God possess? He possesses what? Everything. And uh, so we, know, we see that this is what uh, we're talking about. And so Genesis, uh, let's see, wrong one. I'm, I'm hitting this. This is a new thing for me, and so if I... Mock it the wrong way, that's okay. Our help, Psalms 124.8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made what? Heaven and earth. And uh, so our help comes from the person that created all things. And again, it's about time. What about the six-day creation? Let's look, at, let's look at the main verse and by the way, this is the key verse for the uh, key verses for the Creation Research Society. You'll find this on all their materials. 
And let's look at uh, Exodus 29 through 11. It says, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and in it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant. <clears throat> Verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. And uh, we see here that uh, what we're talking about in this section here is the work week. And uh, it said that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day, okay? And this is talking to the Jews, of course. And uh, we see that the, this, is, this is an analogy that the Lord has made, and he ties it in to the six days that the Lord made heaven and earth, and he rested the seventh day. And so we see a, we see a connection here that the creation days are the same thing as working days. And the working days are the normal 24-hour days that we experience and that we work through. And God created things in that format. And he created things in a, in, during uh, seven normal, we might say, solar days, normal days. And uh, we see the tie in there. And uh, if we add in, uh, after the Genesis account, we, we have the uh, history account. Uh, we have all these uh, chronologies there. Uh, and if we add those years in uh, from those different patriarchs and so forth, what do we end up with? Well, we end up with a solar system, a universe that is 7,000 years old, and maybe, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but we'll just say around seven to 10,000 years. And that gives the historical record or, or the creation time. So that is the co time constraints that we're dealing with, only about 7,000 years. All right, so let's look at some events here. And uh, let's start out looking at the age of the Jovian planets. Jovian just means uh, Jupiter-like planets. And so we're talking about Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, and Uranus. Uranus. Or Uranus. Uh, or... <coughs> Why are the gas giants still so hot? You may have uh, heard that one of the parts of a definition of a planet is that it shines by reflected light. Is that true? Do all the planets shine by reflected light? Well, the answer is, the answer is no. Because uh, here is a world, the Jovian and world, that give off more energy than they receive. And uh, this energy uh, is, <coughs> is a lot, and it's just, just a tremendous amount. The power excess, in other words, the difference between the power received from the sun and the energy that Jupiter gives off is some 26 trillion trillion kilowatt hours of energy per day. It's enough to burn 3 million billion 100 watt light bulbs. That's a lot. That's <laughs> the so, way yeah, I can. I guess I can tie it in with our new fluorescent bulbs. I guess I'll have to redo this calculation. But anyway, uh, it gives off twice as much power as it receives from the sun. And uh, so here is an object that gives off lots and lots of energy. What about Saturn? <coughs> 
Well, Saturn puts out half the energy, but it has one quarter of the mass. Now, if you do the math, that means that it puts out twice as much energy per unit mass than Jupiter. It really puts out the energy, uh, like Jupiter. And uh, Neptune is very similar. Uh, <coughs> Uranus, uh, if, you, if, you, if you go online and look about Uranus, you'll find out it only gives out maybe 1% or 2% more than it receives from the sun. So it's kind of in a different class, but still it's an oddball. It's strange. Why does it give off more energy than it receives? Now this is, uh, this, this is a problem, and this problem has been addressed by many articles in the Astrophysical Journal and other places uh, to try to explain this. What is the source of energy? There is a source of energy down in the core of uh, Jupiter, and uh, there are many explanations. All right, I teach uh, general astronomy, and uh, uh, our book says that Jupiter is shrinking, okay? And that's gravitational energy, and that's where the energy comes from. Uh, it converts gravitational energy into internal heat and radiation. Does that explain it? Does that give us an answer? So is it gravitational contraction that's giving us the energy? Well, it turns out, no, it doesn't give us enough energy. Uh, others have said that there is helium in, in Jupiter raining down on the core, and as it falls to the core, it does the same sort of thing that would happen here. It's the giving off gravitational, gravitational energy and then producing heat and radiation. Does that work? Uh, it turns out that studies of the vibrations of Jupiter, now called asteroseismology, uh, show that this doesn't work. It's not correct. And the internal uh, composition of Jupiter doesn't do this. Uh, well, uh, recently one researcher hypothesized that there are nuclear reactions going on in, uh, let me say no here and move on here, that there are nuclear reactions going on inside of Jupiter. And this heavy hydrogen, deuterium, uh, hydrogen with an extra neutron in it, okay? And it's uh, falling down and it's, uh, I mean, sorry, it's in the core and burning, uh, like we have nuclear burning in the sun. Uh, this requires a core temperature of about 160,000 Kelvin. And... Uh, this temperature is about eight times hotter than anybody's Jupiter model that they have, and so we have to have it slightly hot. Uh, but it isn't, it isn't in the millions of degrees like the sun's core is, so maybe there's some possibility here. Uh, how could this work? Well, to get this to work, what you have to have, and he explains this very well in, in the article, is that you have to have all the deuterium in Jupiter suddenly move its way to the core right at the beginning when Jupiter was created. Now, I'm not going to talk about how it was created, how the gases came together and created a Jupiter. But anyway, the deuterium has to come from all parts of Jupiter and has to assemble itself in the core right at the beginning when Jupiter is hot. And then it has to fire up, start up. We have to reach that temperature. And uh, once this happens... Uh, we're in good shape. Jupiter will burn very merrily and happily uh, right now, all the way all the way through those 4.5 billion years or whatever you want to put in there, and it'll keep on burning 
just right. So that, that works. That's an ingenious type of solution, and uh, it, it doesn't, you know, it, it would work if that would happen. Uh, the snag is, is that the uh, <coughs> deuterium has to assemble itself at just the right time, at just the right place, which is the core, and has to be there right there at the beginning. Now, uh, by the way, here comes a, uh, here comes a, a delivery of deuterium. Uh, Mac, I'm sorry, uh, you're 4.5 billion years too late. And also, you took it to the wrong place. Well, I tell you, this is never going to work. Anyway, let's consider something else. Uh, what is a star? What is a star? What is the definition of a star? Uh, the answer, if you look it up, is any, any large self-gravitating gaseous sphere that has continued nuclear reactions in its core. The sun is a star. It burns hydrogen in its core. But if Jupiter burns deuterium in its core, then what is it? Burning nuclear, it's burning nuclear reactions, so it is a what? It is a sun. Now, not only is Jupiter a sun, but all the rest of the guys here are suns. Uh, maybe not Uranus, but Neptune and Saturn are all suns. Now, that makes how many suns do we have in the solar system? Well, that makes four or five suns. And uh, so I guess we have to rewrite things. Uh, my brother was telling me, wondering if I was going to, uh, pull the plug on any other planet, and I guess I am here. I'm making them suns. They're not planets anymore. They're stars. Wow. Now, this gets really confusing and hard here, and uh, I tell you what, uh, I don't think a truck uh, delivered stuff exactly at the right time, and I don't think we have five suns in our solar system, or maybe four. Uh, it's much more easy to believe that God just created the planets. He created Jupiter and Saturn in the beginning. And as he was doing that, he was working on it and creating energy. And we're seeing the creative work of God coming out of Jupiter and uh, giving off its energy. And so this is just residual stuff because Jupiter is not very old. And it's still hot from the creation and it's still glowing from this. And so we don't have any trouble with this. Uh, are the Jovian planets a problem? Well, to the creation, to the creationists, the answer is no. It's not a problem because Jupiter is young. This is kind of funny because uh, when I came out with this article, uh, number uh, several years ago, uh, the guy that was the author of this of this idea uh, actually sent me emails and talked to me, and he thought it was interesting. And I got a chance to talk with this guy. Uh, and uh, one of the things I think that you should do with creation materials, once you get the answers in your hand and you understand what's going on here that there's an assumption that things are billions of years old, but when we actually start looking at the details, we find out that things are not as old as, as they say, that we need to use this as a way of spreading the gospel and giving information to people and getting them interested in the gospel. 
and it ties into this morning's message. And we should we should be uh, we should know the answers, and we should be able to get the answers for people. And uh, so we need to be able to be uh, creation scientists ourselves a little bit here. All right. Another interesting uh, bit of information is the early faint sun paradox. Now, it, uh, this, this is uh, probably not well known and uh, not uh, understood by a lot of people, especially biologists, because they want to uh, have uh, the beginnings of life begin uh, several billion years ago. And uh, if we go back into time and look at the sun, i got to back this thing up the wrong. Here we go. Get going the right way here. All right. Uh, what we'll find is that the sun gave off too little energy back in those days, billions of years ago. And uh, if, it, if it evolves the way the astronomers uh, say and the way their models say, and so we'd end up with a frozen planet. How could life evolve? Uh, for in a, on a frozen planet. The evolution of life requires, according to these uh, biologists, uh, evolutionary biologists, life requires stable temperatures for billions of years. And I think that they've assumed that the sun had stable temperatures for, for, for many years and during all of these times. But uh, over the vast time scales, the solar temperature has changed and the energy output has changed radically. In fact, the solar models uh, indicate that the sun was 30% fainter 4 billion years ago. Now, that means, basically, that we had a frozen Earth. Not a frozen sun, but a frozen Earth. And the Earth started out frozen. And it stayed that way for much of the time that life was supposed to be evolving. And, of course, uh, can life evolve in an ice cube? Uh, I think not. This has been a, a major problem, and uh, there have been some people spending a lot of time working on this. Uh, one of the people uh, that maybe you remember the person's name is Carl Sagan. Anybody remember Carl Sagan? This is one of the major problems that Carl was very uh, interested in, and so he actually uh, was working on a paper and it was interrupted by his death. And so the work was, was actually published uh, post, posthumously after he died, and his solution was given like so. He said that there was, there was additional greenhouse gas. And uh, the additional greenhouse gas was a thing that warmed uh, the earth up and kept it warmed. His uh, paper, by the way, was published back in 1997. It's called The Early Faint Sun Paradox, Organic Shielding of Ultraviolet Libel Greenhouse Gases. And so there was another greenhouse gas that was in the atmosphere uh, in those days, according to uh, Dr. Sagan, and uh, that was ammonia. And the problem is, is that ammonia breaks down in the presence of sunlight. 
And so you've got to have something else to, uh, to work along with it. And uh, I said where the uh, ammonia came from, came from the crust of comets, uh, or, uh, and you have to have some way for the ammonia to show up in the atmosphere. All right, and so in order to get the methane to work, he has to have something to shield the methane. Now, if you have something to shield the methane, what does that do? That cuts out what? The light from the sun, doesn't it, right? Okay. And uh, so he said there was a methane smog, and this smog came from undersea vents of methane uh, in the upper atmosphere to shield the ammonia. Uh, but the, question, the problem is, is how do you get these things to work together? Uh, let me, uh, as I say, I'm working on this thing, pushing it the wrong way, but that's okay. How do you get the methane smog to leak away uh, as uh, the ammonia, to leak away so the ammonia can heat the sun up so you can keep the idea of keeping the thermostat going, uh, keeping the sun warm, I'm sorry, keeping the earth warm as the sun is heating it up. Because now all along this while, the sun is getting warmer, okay? And uh, so you've got, to, you've got to leak away ammonia so it doesn't have much, as much effect and so forth. It gets, it gets rather complicated, and you almost have to have, you probably have to have an intelligent force out there to uh, keep all the, all the things in, in, uh, in balance. And uh, is there a simpler solution to this? to this situation. Well, it's much simpler uh, to believe that the uh, sun was created uh, only about 10,000 years ago and that uh, life has been, was created by God and that everything has continued pretty much the same over that short time span compared to those billions of years. So again, is the faint sun uh, paradox, is it a problem? And the answer is no. The answer is that it's not a problem. And so we have all these complicated kind of mechanisms to try to explain these problems. And these problems are many, and perhaps you never hear about them. Uh, another major major, uh, I think, proof of the age of the solar system is the comets. Now, if uh, comets, as we'll see in a few minutes here, uh, have the characteristics that, that uh, we, uh, we find about them, uh, this picture would be something, would be a frame maybe you'd see in a museum, and it might uh, have somebody... Uh, with a plaque on there that says, uh, here is a comet. And we don't have any comets anymore because they're all gone. And the, the proof, the problem is, is that we do have lots of comets. And the uh, question is, why are comets still around? Okay, what is a comet? Okay, uh, a comet is uh, an icy object that... Uh, that uh, sometimes is maybe thought of as a dirty snowball. Fred Whippleback in the 50s said that comets were 
chunks of matter that were like a dirty snowball. And uh, we've seen recently that comets uh, have been disintegrating. And uh, they're probably made up of a loosely bound, held together uh, mass of, of uh, ice and dust. And uh, I think that probably Fred Whipple's idea of the dirty snowball is probably pretty much correct. Uh, and so this idea is still, is still around, and it's still very strong. Now, one of the major ways that you can tell a, a comet is that when you look at it, it gives off emission lines. That means it has gas. It glows. Now, you could get the same kind of emission lines if you looked at one of these fluorescent light bulbs and looked at it with a, a spec spectrometer. You could see uh, these emission lines that, that come from a hot gas. Now, what happens as the ice heats up, the gas uh, sublimates, heats up, and glows. And the minute you see, uh, say, an asteroid that gives off a specter like this, you say that asteroid is not an asteroid. It's, it is a comet. Comets are mainly named because of these spectral features that you see. And uh, here we go. All right. And uh, the comets are fragile. And uh, we have the dirty snowball object, uh, dirty snowball model here. Comets generally have orbits that are quite stretched out and elliptical. There's a standard common orbit. And you can see in that picture... Uh, how the comet develops a tail as it comes, comes sweeping past the sun. Now that tail is made up of dust and gas that's being blown out from the comet, and so it's losing material as it passes. And uh, the close approach, as it shows there, is called the perihelion, and the aphelion is the, uh, the far, far approach. Here is Hellbop. Maybe you saw this yourself back in 1997. Uh, hell bob as it passed, and we notice that it has two tails. Uh, one is the dust tail, and uh, the dust tail is pushed back by radiation pressure from the sun, and the ion tail, which is made up of gas, uh, is blown back by solar wind. And so we have really double tails and interest other interesting features that you can see. Uh, contrary to uh, Star Trek and other others, other other. Uh, uh, science fiction stories, they show you a comet kind of going through uh, the, the space, and the tail is behind it as it, fire, as it makes a fiery trail. Uh, what actually happens is these tails always point away from the sun. It doesn't matter what direction the comet is moving. And uh, so it's not like a jet that's blowing the comet along. It's just being blown off because the sun is, is ripping it apart and taking off material. Every time a comet passes the sun, it loses about 1% of its mass. During every time it passes by the sun, the perihelion passage. And comets break down. They disintegrate. We've seen a number of comets disintegrate. Uh, comet Linear, here's a picture taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. As it was watching, uh, the head of the comet started to break up. And uh, here's uh, a drawing, a painting, actually, of Comet Deila back in 1852, back in those days, we couldn't take photographs of comets. But uh, Comet Deila actually divided and broke into two parts. And this was kept in our records back from the 1850s. Here is uh, Schwachman and Watchman here. Uh, the comet head is breaking up back in 19, 
96. In uh, Comet West used to be the most one of the most beautiful comets, and it returned regularly, uh, seen by lots of people. And you can see the beautiful tail that it has, and maybe you can pick out the dust and the gas tail. There's two actual tails there. Uh, but uh, uh, the last time it actually came by was March 9, 1975. One year later, uh, the comet head, the head of the comet actually broke up, and Comet West is no more. These comets are shredding and breaking apart. Here's a famous picture by Soho, a uh, satellite that watches the sun. What happens is uh, they cover up the sun with an occulting disk. The sun's actual size is right there, but they have a disk that covers up the sun so they can watch what's called the corona, the gases and stuff outside here. And uh, let's back up here. Let's see. Uh, back up here again. All right, let's see. I may have to do this contact here to make it work here. Let's watch a little. Okay. All right, this happens in my class. And what happens is I have to change the resolution to lower. <laughs> a lot of times I've gotten into trouble because I couldn't figure out what's going on. Okay, what are you seeing? Well, Soho has seen thousands of these. Do you see the comet entering from the left-hand side? Do you see it? What's coming out the right-hand side? <laughs> An exploded comet. <laughs> a comet that's been blown up because it passed too close to the sun. And this is a very normal sight here uh, from, from Soho. And so comets are, let me get past here, comets are breaking up. Uh, maybe some of you remember, I was uh, uh, teaching astronomy at, uh, uh, up in Illinois uh, when this event happened, and Comet Shoemaker-Levy came too close to Jupiter, was ripped apart into many pieces, and it fell into the, to the, uh, uh, to Jupiter, and created, uh, actually I don't have a picture of all the rest of here, but it created these black spots all the way across the surface as these, all these pieces fell in to Jupiter. And Jupiter is quite a shredder and destroyer of comets. And it breaks up many comets and it's actually corralled about 45 comets inside of its orbit. And uh, we're losing uh, comets uh, uh, in a great amount. Uh, you might wonder how many have ever watched a meteor shower or seen uh, seen a falling star uh, as you're walking along on the beach or whatever. And uh, it turns out that most of these come from comets. They're pieces and chunks of comets that have broken off. And uh, so it's just another uh, another proof that uh, that comets are becoming uh, ripping apart and, and breaking down. And in fact, most meteor showers had been linked to, to comets, former comets, or they might exist along the orbits of comets. Comets are temporary. But comets are also members of the solar system. And so that means that if we have a certain number of comets orbiting around the sun and uh, they're breaking down with time, what happens? 
Well, we lo we're losing comments, and we're losing uh, many comments, and uh, they're limited in number, and we lose the number of comments as they go along, as we go along in time. And it turns out that if you believe in a billion-year kind of, kind of format for the universe, that our supply of comets should have been exhausted a long time ago, and comets should have been something of the past. <laughs> However, comets are not, have not vanished. They are plentiful. And uh, if you're a comet observer, there are some hundred visible comets every single year that appear in our skies. And so the uh, evolutionary astronomers the, uh, have, have came up, come up with what they call the Oort cloud. And their solution is that uh, out, if we go out uh, uh, 50,000 astronomical units, and an astronomical unit is the distance between the Earth and the Sun, so way out beyond the Sun, uh, we have this, this huge cloud of comets. And whenever a star passes by and, uh, and uh, uh, pushes one of them by its forces, it'll fall into the sun, and so we have more and more comets. We have a whole reservoir of comets. However, uh, as Carl Sagan, believe it or not, has told us, he says, many scientific papers have been written each year about the Oort cloud, its properties, its origin, its evolution, yet there's not a shred of evidence, of direct observational evidence for its existence. No one has seen the Oort cloud. And uh, so here we've uh, here, here the astronomers have, have hypothesized something that probably doesn't exist to explain the problem. There is another source which has been found, and that's, we, that's been called the Kuiper Belt. And uh, closer in, there is another asteroid belt. And maybe you've never heard about this asteroid belt. It is, uh, starts at about Pluto and goes out. And it turns out the reason why we lost Pluto as a planet is that Pluto was one of these asteroids. It's a large asteroid, that's for sure, but it's just an asteroid. And it turns out we found like a thousand of these objects in, uh, in, in the Kuiper Belt. It's called, what's been called the Kuiper Belt. And uh, <coughs> some of these are icy objects, and it's been hypothesized that these are sources of, uh, of the comets. Okay, that, uh, both long period and short period comets. Uh, turns out, however, when you look at the spectra of these, of these Kuiper Belt objects, that the colors are different. They aren't the same. And none of them show comet emission. And, uh, uh, and uh, of course, they could not persist for the 4.5 billion years. And so I believe, even though the uh, astronomers have thought they've solved the problem, I think the presence of comets in the solar system still supports the, aid, the idea that the universe, that solar system is young. Uh, if the solar system is young, there are still many comets left because we only have thousands of years of time and not billions of years of time. Has anybody ever uh, thought about comparing thousands of years to, yes, to billions of years? If you think about that, how many times bigger is billions of years than thousands of years? It's like a million times longer, isn't it? It's just a fantastic amount. And uh, there is a big difference between what we're talking about and what uh, the evolutionists are talking about. And uh, there are many more ideas here, and uh, you can 
You can find uh, articles online at, uh, at the Creation Research Society uh, website, and uh, there'll be many more uh, published and found at Answers in Genesis and also Institute of Creation Research. And uh, you, can, you should avail yourself of these things, and uh, many of them are popular level and uh, are not, are not uh, too complicated for you to understand. Uh, as, as I said, Creation Matters is, is, our, is our publication that is just a, a, a news kind of, kinds of, kind of magazine, and uh, there are many others uh, like that. Uh, let's go ahead and stop at this point, I guess, because of the time, and we're almost running up to, to uh, 7 o'clock here, and let's pray and, and uh, finish at this point. Father, we thank you for this day. And thank you for uh, your word and uh, that uh, we can believe your word and that you have created all things and done it in a short time and uh, that when we actually look closely at the earmarks of creation, we can see that the, the solar system is young and that it fits a biblical record. Help us, God, to believe in you and trust in you and tell our friends about these things so that they don't have to uh, go down the road of evolution and, uh, and uh, a road that takes them away from the gospel and away from Christ. And I pray that you'll, you'll bless us and guide us and help us, God, to see the truth uh, as we... Uh, go along our Christian lives. We ask in Christ's name, amen.